I hope you're taking notes because I'm going to give you a, a series of points uh, that I believe can kind of undergird that title and you can apply it to your life. But let's make sure we all have the same working definition of joy. Okay? Uh, the working definition is this. Uh, the feeling of great pleasure and happiness. The feeling of great pleasure and happiness. So that's, that's what joy is. That's going to be our working definition. And so there's, there's several different ways that you can experience joy. Uh, I'm going to give you three of them. Uh, the first way is one of, when one of your five senses experiences delight. Um, probably the most obvious uh, is when your taste buds experience brownies. A sense of joy, the spirit of joy comes flooding into your soul when one of your five senses experiences uh, delight. Um, I went to Cirque du Soleil a couple years ago. And when you see a five foot one Chinese girl stack a hundred chairs on top of each other, climb up the 100 chairs, and do a one hand handstand on the 100th chair, your eyeballs are telling your brain that that's impossible, but your brain is telling your eyeballs that it's actually happening and you're, that can't happen. Your eyes, your senses experiencing delight and so on, all the way through the five senses that you have. The second way that you experience joy is when you're doing something that you're good at. You experience joy. For me, I experience no joy when I play golf. My father-in-law comes to town. He's in town right now. Every time he comes to town, he wants to play golf. True story, just a few days ago we were playing golf. The, the hole is 400 yards away from the tee box. And I decided, I told him, I said, look, there are two ways to get to this hole. There's the sexy way where you hit the ball and it goes. And I said, you, you, were, you do all that. For me, I'm going to drive there. <laughs> you can fly to Canada. You can drive to Canada. And so I putted the ball off the tee box 100 yards and it just went rolled right down the fairway i walked up again and putted it again another 100 yards i said you do the sexy thing i'll meet you there <laughs> putted it again putted it again i was putting for bogey <laughs> if you know what that means that it wasn't that bad if i'm gonna put my way all the way there but i don't have fun playing golf it's not fun it's too much grass for such a little ball. <laughs> Makes no sense to me. If you're going to have that much grass, the ball should be bigger. The hole should be bigger. 
Whose idea was it to have 50 acres of grass and have the smallest ball of all the sports? Makes no sense. The cup, the diameter of the cup is smaller than my finger. Makes no sense. Some guy in heaven is still laughing that we're playing this game. A basketball is bigger than a golf ball, and we have half the, a, a tenth of the size. Oh, okay, I'm over it, I'm over it. But you have fun. Some of you have fun when you cross-stitch and knit, and it's enjoyable. You experience joy. And then number three, you experience joy when you do something for somebody else. You just feel joy. If you're ever down and depressed and you're in the dumps, do something for somebody else and you get lifted right up. In fact, if all of a sudden you do, if you just stop, if you're completely depressed, completely down, lay on your couch, close your eyes, and just say wonderful things about God to God. You are so good. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. You're so, I can't believe how wonderful you are. And you do that for two minutes. And all of a sudden, you will begin to start feeling joy. It's amazing. You're like, I don't believe you. Try it and then come back and tell me you don't believe me. Because it's amazing. So that's what joy is. That's how we experience joy. This is how we lose joy. Number one, fear. Fear, you're afraid of something. Now, there's another common word that we have replaced fear with. We usually don't say, I'm afraid. I usually don't go, Isaiah, I'm, I'm afraid. Even if I were afraid, I wouldn't tell Isaiah, I'm afraid. I have hair on my chest. I'm not going to say, Isaiah, I'm afraid. Instead, I'm going to say, Isaiah, I'm stressed. That sounds so much more cool. It sounds like I am a, just a, I'm carrying the weight of the world. I'm stressed. Stressed is the misspelling of the word fear. Thank you for coming, everyone. I'll be here all week. Stress is when you misspell the word fear. Because when you're stressed, ask yourself, what are you afraid of? The next time somebody tells you, I'm stressed, look at them, pause the moment, and say, what are you afraid of? Now they're going to say, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm stressed. What are you afraid of? And make them answer that question. They'll answer the question. Because stress is just the misspelling of the word fear. So fear takes it away. Number two, a lack of sleep or food. You lose joy. Praise the Lord for being honest in church. You don't get enough sleep, you have no joy. You don't have enough good food, you have no joy. Speaking of good food, 
I'm going to bring some of you joy, but I'm going to put all the responsibility on Scott on whether or not he can come through. Do you have any of your bars with you tonight? Yes. Scott, I would like for you to come to the platform and bring this anointed word from God. I'm not even kidding. Raise your hand if you are on the Daniels Fast right now. Go ahead, raise it up, raise it up, raise it up. Let me tell you something. I'm about to make your life. For the last 10 days, you have been eating beans and nuts. And I just want to say that Scott Johnson, come up here, Scott, come up here. You don't even know what I'm about to say, but you're going to love him in a minute. So just give him a round of applause right now. Thank you. You can go ahead and sit down. This is the, so the Daniel's fast is nuts, vegetables, beans, and fruit. Right. Those are the only four things that we're going to eat for 21 days. But Scott, the anointed man from God, has found candy bars. Yeah. Candy bars. This one is called cherry pie. I need somebody to pull out a white hanky. Find a white hanky, grab a, a Kleenex or something. That's it. There you go. Y'all never been to church like this. Just, well, praise them, praise them, praise them. I'm going to read to you what is in cherry pie. Now, those of you that are not on the fast, you want me to hurry up and get past this point, but those of them that are on the fast are taking notes like they never have. I'm going to tell you what's in cherry pie. Dates. Almonds. Unsweetened cherries. And that's all. Yeah. I'll save that one for last. That was a good one. Coconut cream pie. Oh, you see, now you're feeling me, right? <laughs> a minute ago, you thought I was wasting your time. Now you're thinking, I knew God wanted me to come to church tonight. <laughs> coconut cream pie. Let me tell you what's in this one. Unsweetened coconut, a.k.a. out of the tree. <laughs> Almonds, cashews, extra virgin. That's it. You don't even believe me. I can feel it. I can feel it. You're waiting for me to say, you know, a bucket of sugar. It, that's it. Last one. Peanut butter cookie. I love you, Scott Johnson. Here we go. Dates, peanuts, sea salt. Period. That's it. Praise the Lord. Now, it's called a Lara bar, and you can get it at your local grocery store. Tell HEB to send me a letter and say thank you very much, Pastor Frankie. Can I give your bars away? 10 for $10. Well, 
Who wants the cherry pie bar? All right, there you go. Who wants the coconut cream pie? There you go. <laughs> and the peanut butter. Was that a good preaching point or what? That was great. How much, I just burnt all my time. Here's the other thing that steals our joy. No hope. When you don't have hope. Do you know that scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, I will give you a future and a hope. Do you know what hope means? Hope is when you have an expectation where it's like, and when you don't have that about your life, that, and you're more like, you don't have hope and expectation. When you don't have hope. Number four, there's certain relationships that you need. It takes your joy away. Number five is guilt. When you're guilty, you feel guilty about something. Now we're going to spend some time dissecting Psalms 51 because Psalms 51 was written when right after David committed adultery and then killed the wife's husband to cover up the fact that he got this guy's wife pregnant and he didn't want word to get out. He knew he would tell everybody. So he killed him, had him killed. So now he's feeling incredibly guilty, I'd say so. <laughs> I'd say so, you go around, commit adultery, get her pregnant, kill the husband, you're gonna feel bad after all that, right? So now his joy is gone. So whatever takes your joy, this is a good blueprint to follow. Because after all that, he still got, and let's just go straight to the definition, he still got great pleasure and happiness injected back into his life after that. So what did he do? Because most of us, what takes our joy away is not as big or bad as what's taken David's joy away. So if it works for David, it's got to work for us. Number one, here's the problem. Let's read verses one through three, okay? This is the problem. This is the situation. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Watch this. Wash me clean from my guilt. I feel so guilty. Have you ever done or said anything and you just feel guilty about it? You feel guilty about something that you've done with your kids or haven't done with your kids? Uh, a spouse, an ex-spouse, a parent, something at work, something but just between you and God. It doesn't affect anyone else. He's saying, clean me from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my uh, rebellion. It haunts me day and night. If you've ever felt guilty, it, it's like haunts you. You can never really forget about it. It comes back. You know what it's like? It's, it's like, um, it's like you're, you're dragging this, this ball on a really long leash. And every once in a while, you get some slack in the leash and you don't feel it. 
And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you feel it and you start feeling guilty all over again. And now you can't even move through life because of the tightening of the, of the leash. And it could have happened whatever you did last night or 15 years ago. But it David is saying, this is haunting me. Every time I go to sleep, I'm thinking about the fact that I had an affair, that I got her pregnant and I killed her husband. I wake up, I'm thinking about killing her husband. I'm just constantly thinking about the fact that I'm a murderer. Here I am, the king of Israel, and I'm a murderer. So he states the problem. Number two, ownership. Because I, watch, watch what he says this. Against you and you alone, I have sinned. This is huge. A lot of times when people experience guilt, they just pull that leash around. And they just hate themselves and hate their life. And David goes to God and he says, I have sinned against you. Now, somebody will say, well, wait a minute, you didn't sin against God. You, you killed that guy. You had an affair with that girl. It wasn't with God. David understood. No, 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 no. It's everything is with God first. So he owns it completely. It takes complete ownership. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Then he goes, he even gets more serious. I've been a sinner since the day. <gasps> I took my first breath. At the core of who I am. I'm a sinner. You see the ownership here. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Complete ownership. No blaming None of this, she was taking a bath on her roof, God. She was taking a bath on her roof. I was walking around on my terrace. I looked down. You see what she looks like? You made her. What was I supposed to do? She offered me lemonade. Owned the whole thing. Watch this. Now it's the prayer. So we've gone from the problem to the ownership and now the prayer. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. He's lost his joy. He's crying out, do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's saying, you are going to have to create, create. The seven days of creation were fantastic, but I need you to create again. My heart is trash. It's sinful. I need you to create a brand new one. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever stood before God and said, I am just, I'm not going to get any better. I am, I am sinful. I need you to create in me a new heart. This is where he's at. Make me righteous. He says, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Did you see that? Make me willing. I know what you want me to do, except I don't want to do it. But make me willing to do it. Restore the joy of salvation. Give me my joy back. Do you see what he's saying here? Are you with me? Can I have my joy back? And then Roman numeral number four. And Isaiah, let's just, I'll call you up in a second. The answer. Roman numeral number four is the answer. Now watch this. Before we dive into what the answer is, verse number 15 is a very interesting verse. It says, Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. I don't know if anyone here has ever been here, but have you ever been in church and you want to participate in worship? but you just can't for some reason? Have you ever been there? It feels like this. You want to. Your heart wants to. Your spirit, it wants to. But for some reason, it feels like your lips are sealed. Have you ever been in the car or ever been at home and your spirit knows you need to be praying or you should pray, but it just feels like you can't? You're not bad. It just feels like you can't. And the reason why he feels this way is because he has no joy. He's not happy. He's, it's all been taken away from him and he knows he brought it on himself. So now he can't pray. He's like, God, he's writing this. It's so bad that he's writing his prayer. He can't get it out of his mouth unseal my lips. I want to pray, but I can't pray for whatever reason. I just can't get myself to do it. Is this talking to anybody here? I can't get myself to do it. Unseal my lips. So here comes the answer. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. Here it comes. Here it comes. Are you ready? Verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. 
You will not reject a broken spirit and a repentant heart. So the next time, and tonight might be that time, but the next time there is no joy in your life. I talked to somebody recently. He said, I've never known what it feels like to be depressed. This is so important for those of you that have never been depressed before. Listen very carefully because the next time you talk to somebody who is depressed, you're going to understand what they're feeling. So for those of you that have never been depressed, don't clock out. Hold on. This is what he says. He says, I feel like I am an actor on a stage during the day. Now, I've been depressed before. I've gone through long seasons of depression. And when he said that, I went, you said that so good. Those are better words than what I could have come up with. But doesn't it feel like that? For those of you that have been depressed, you just kind of like, okay, be happy. I'm happy. I got three more hours of being happy, and then I'm going to go home. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. Oh, hey, good morning, Sally. Good morning to you, too. Good morning. Good morning. It's 2 in the afternoon. I'm sorry. Good afternoon. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, welcome. Hey, Johnny. How are you? You get in the car. Oh, God. Oh. Can I go to bed yet? Right? This is, this, is what, this is what it feels like. When you, the next time you need an injection of joy, realize what David is saying here. This is what God wants. He doesn't want your offering. You don't need to write some big check. The offering that he wants. You are in a place where you are not happy. You are in a place where you are not experiencing happiness. You are at that place, there is no joy. And you come before God and you state the issue. You state the problem. You, you take ownership. You ask him to open up your mouth and then you let yourself express any repentance you have and you let yourself in his presence you let yourself express your desperation. That's what he's looking for. Now, I've been a senior pastor for eight years of this church's existence. I've never done this, ever. But I'm going to do it right now. Um, I need the microphone, Jessica. Um, this is probably the best example of having joy ripped out of your life. And not knowing what to do. So you just let yourself be desperate in the presence of God. Um, I hope this is okay, Robert. But why don't you come on up here real quick. Um, Robert 
is a guitar player, obviously, but his wife went on tour uh, to Europe to go on a tour and do a bunch of concerts, and they do this together. Uh, while they were in Europe, something interesting happened, and I just want you to take your time and just talk to us. He didn't know I was going to do this. That's why I said I've never done this before. Uh, but I know Robert's going to do a great job. Go ahead. It was 3 a.m. Monday. Actually, it was Sunday. And um, we're staying our, at the Arcana house in Barcelona, Spain. And I heard a noise. And it was my baby. It's a year and a half. And uh, it's hard for me to talk about it. As I can remember that time, I know he was shaking, um, running a huge uh, convulsion. I, I hope I say it right. And uh, his eyes were white, completely shaking a lot. So I'm wearing my PJs and running to the hospital at 3 a.m. and went inside the hospital. And you know, 15 minutes later, doctor comes out and like, we're not sure if he's going to make it. And, you know, um, we don't know what's going on, but uh, uh, that convulsion is not stopping, so we need to do something. And uh, at that time, it was hard. Uh, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, Joey was not definitely there. Um, I looked up and said, God, I, I serve you, we're here serving you. We're in the ministry. So what's happening? You know, it's was only a year and a half with my little one, my first one, that we get to give and that's it. And, you know, we didn't know what to do. Uh, Fifteen minutes later, the doctor comes out and he says, it's fine, there's something wrong here. Obviously, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an attack from the enemy, it's evil. Anything, anything can happen. I mean, we almost lost him at, at that time. The way the doctor was saying, you know, we don't know what's going on. We don't, we don't know what to do. But, I mean, God just come through too fast. And, and it's just like, I, only, I can only feel God's presence and, and him telling us that it's, it's going to be okay not to worry about it, but honestly, it's just—it's um, hitting you straight directly. It's not your cousin, and it's not a friend. It's just your blood. So it's different. I—I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot of things, but but like you say, Pastor Frank, it is definitely. Um, I face something. And I found something that I had never done it before. 
and it only made me stronger. So if the enemy wanted something to happen to us, and it was coming against us, he lost. He's lost. <laughs> We're happy. And I'm jumping, so I definitely have joy. All right, Isaiah, you can come on up now. You know, it's interesting. I'm telling everyone here, when, when you have your joy challenged and your joy taken away, to go get on your knees and to allow yourself to be repentant and allow yourself to be desperate. There's something very interesting, though, about your motivation. Whenever you get desperate, and cry out before God because this just came to my mind when I was standing right there. Just 30 seconds ago, I was listening to Robert. And so here Robert is in Barcelona, Spain, and he's crying out to God, being desperate because his baby is about to die. And then miraculously, he's healed. But... King David was in the exact same situation. He was crying out before God that his baby would not die. And the servant knocked on the door and said, David, your baby died. And he stood up and he said, well, if there was a way he was going to live, the only way he was going to live was if God answered my prayer. That was the only way it was going to happen. But since it didn't happen, then I would just continue to serve him. And what happened in that process, the motivation can very easily become, God, you, you better give me my way. Naturally, you don't love anyone more than you love your kids. You love your kids more than you love yourself. So it's nearly impossible to not want that as your primary reason for praying. But, it's the brokenness that God allows to happen to you to draw you into his presence, to allow you to experience something in his presence that you did not realize existed. A level of joy that you can't put into words to experience it where Paul was able to say I know what it feels like to have a lot and I know what it feels like to have a little and I've been full of joy what I don't get it of course we don't because there's a certain level that you don't know what it is unless you've experienced it yourself We may not always get what we ask for, but joy, 
a sense of knowing why you're here and being fulfilled while you're here and experiencing pleasure while you're here in the presence of God. Now that is available if you allow yourself to give him what he wants. And what he wants is a broken heart in a repentant heart. Somebody that says, I'm sorry. I love you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I need you.